Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. All right, we're rolling. Folks, welcome back. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Father John, Father Nathan Goebel, Father Nathan Andrew Goebel. Andrew Goebel on the feast of San Andrea. San Andrea, which is uh, today's feast, November 30th. This will come out a couple of weeks, probably two weeks later, but... Uh, we had a, a great trip to. I was reminded of uh, going to the Amalfi Coast, where the tombs, uh, the tomb of Saint Andrew is. Some of his relics, not all of them, are there. But yep. he is. Uh, what we stole. Would, yeah. Pache, Father Michael O'Loughlin. Sorry, Olo and uh, Eastern Catholics. We somehow appropriated them and uh, brought them to the Amalfi Coast, where they said, "Did you preach that day? I forget." Uh, I don't think so. You don't think so? Uh, I actually. If it was the trip with the companions... That's what I'm talking about. The only time that I uh, was asked to preach was the morning mass uh, before we left um, <laughs> at 4 a.m. in the morning, and everyone was like, don't preach. Don't so preach. That was it. Yeah, I remember you got classic... You got shanked by the Italians because uh, you didn't have a... Remember that? You were going to preach at uh, Philip Neary's tomb. Yep. And uh, got... Uh, didn't, no, I was, didn't have the letter. Usterman so I, was supposed to be there. Right. He got delayed, and then I was like, dude, I would love to do that. And then the guy was like, if you don't have a letter, right. you can't do it. Which, from now on, um, two things. One, so for those of you that don't know, there's something called a celebrate card, which just means you're a priest in good standing, you're allowed to celebrate Mass. Um, so, um, one, I've just made a photo uh, on my phone that I can access at any time because they don't actually read it. Right. They just look, they at just the, look to see look for, the for the seal. seal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. And then the second thing is I was speaking with uh, a group of priests who will remain anonymous, and they just went to a ID shop and made their own. Oh, brilliant. Absolutely and, brilliant. And they, they put the seal of the diocese and everything, and I'm like, I might actually do that. Yeah. Yeah, we used to have a card that says, you are a priest in good standing. And then uh, after the scandals in 2002, they decided um, no one is in good standing unless we send a specific letter for each for one. Each, for each time. And so, poor Joanne Baca poor in, our, in our diocese has to fill to out all of these, these out. All Every these letters, time we so. go anywhere outside of, any priest goes anywhere outside of the diocese, it's just like bureaucracy, bureaucracy, bureaucracy. But... We learned from the Italians. Such is the way. But yeah, it's, uh, St. Andrew, uh, we got a chance to visit uh, in uh, or whatever it's called, Amalfi. Yep. And we walk into the sacristy, and this lady goes, you look like St. Andrew to me. And I was like, I am, I'm in heaven. That's right. Perfect. That's right. Patron saint of fishermen, in case you didn't know, folks. Patron saint of fishermen. I was really struck this morning looking at the, um, not to go into an auxiliary topic, but uh, the call is always in fraternity, right? Like we we just we keep treating the fr- the fraternal dimension of the Christian life as kind of this sub level, you know, kind of like a, a lifestyle option. Hmm. But calls are not separate from the church or from fraternity, so they just kind of like like I was talking to a priest recently at your not one you live with, but he was at your house, and it was just like, yeah, fraternity is kind of an option that we can kind of do if we're not. Uh, if we're just not as busy, you know, and it's like, no, that's just not, just not how it works. Um, it's not that calls are not personal; they always are personal, but they're not private. And I think that we're living Christianity, like, as I say all the time, we're living Christianity like golf, and it's really supposed to be more like rugby. It's just you're always in it, 
and um, we had a nice rugby match this week. I stayed at the Schloss. Uh, things are well there. Mm-hmm. Community is good. Yep. But every once in a while, tensions rise. Right. Things get moved on things, the counter. Things get. Yeah. It was a. It was a quick. Uh, it was like. Uh, my experience is uh, Goble is like uh, Robert E. Lee or Stonewall Jackson, and he kept maneuvering around me. Which one was that, Chancellorville? I don't remember. I, I'm the idiot union uh, general and uh, keep getting outmaneuvered. So I tried to make an assault early on, aggressive move, readjusting things on the uh, kitchen countertop within maybe 48 hours of moving in. And um, Stonewall Jackson kind of, we've been watching this World, world War or Civil War uh, documentary so everything is uh true under that aspect i I actually learned it more because i was watching dog whisper and i was just like hey and i like got a spray bottle out and just put you in your place so yep yep he is uh he is the the master of the house keeper of the inn that's right so it was uh it was a good week though and uh (laughs) but we're we're kind of bantered out i don't know you know i'm looking at your bookshelf and you have Three bookends that are just bottles of Maker's Mark. Empty bottles. They make for nice... Uh, no, no, they're full. They're full? Aren't uh, they? Yeah. Well, yeah. maybe not. And that was after you guys told me, get rid of all your booze last February. But no, we told you to get rid of the non-Maker's booze. Right, right. You're doing well. You're doing well. Things are well here. We're actually at uh, St. Joseph House, uh, which is a little empty, so... Yeah, am I even allowed to be in here? Yes, you are. This is special dispensation, right? This is a this is a personal matter of uh, national importance, right? Uh, One could even say international importance, because we have listeners all over the globe. So we have to ensure that you know the the essential business that is operated here uh, continues on. It is. It's an essential business. That's right. I'm reminded of the the words of the late Lorenzo Albacetti when he was giving a a speech at Notre Dame up on the stage, and he lit up a cigarette. (laughs) That's right. And they said, um, excuse me, oh, Monsignor, you're not allowed to smoke. And he pulls it, takes a long drag, and goes, I have a dispensation from the Vatican. He said a, that to the president yeah. of Notre Dame. That guy, talk about the honey badger, man. Amazing. You just got a new Albacete book. Father John made a comment about uh, my recent Amazon box. It contained three items. One, Harvest Yankee Candle. Right. Oh, Harvest Yankee Candle is the scent of uh, my home. Because uh, my mom, Veronica, would uh, simmer on the stove um, cloves, cinnamon, and something else, like just like making the house smell really good. And Harvest Candle from Yankee is like the closest scent that I have to that. Very nice. Two, Rosemary Mint Bubble Bath. Totally worth it. Tried to look up some good bubble baths coming on the Christmas season. And then three was a book by Albacetti. And I was like, man, this is... uh, this is great. And he's like, who are you? Well, if the Albacetti book wouldn't have been in there, I think your man card would have been a, it revoked for at least an eight-hour period. Uh, because I was like, really? I think there That's are others it? that, is, that would... This is what you splurge on? Bubble bath? Really? These are, I mean... Necessities. Not necessities, but frivolities. Frivolities. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a good way of putting it. Now, to each his own, you know? You know, it, it, it's we've yet to go into that point of like yeah, what reviewing your, Amazon purchases. Yeah, what was your last Amazon purchase? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I'm not sure. Probably some boring book with no bubble. It wasn't. Bath. A, it wasn't a candle, and it sure as hell wasn't bubble bath. I'll tell you that much. I'm trying to think. To now. each their own. To each their own. It was probably like a cycling casket. You know, the little hats. 
Oh yeah, that yeah, was you gotta, those yeah. are nice. Those are nice. You gotta get some of those. Austin Lickey sports those regularly. You know? Yes, he's a big. Uh, mm-hmm. He's back on the bike, Father Austin. Good to see you after a little knee injury. And uh, oh, what happened? He just got uh, hit by a car, kind of casually. What? No, it was just a very quick, little, subtle one. It wasn't like a big one. Yeah, we had we had a priest friend have a serious accident in September, but this is just a little guy. But so. enough that it hurt his knee. Yeah, just a little ding on the knee. So. But he's uh, he's doing well. Good to see him back on Strava. What exactly did they say to him? Did he hit them, or did did they hit him? I'm not totally sure of the details. So to get back to you on that, what was his blood alcohol content? That's <laughs> that's, that's right. the question. My sister, I took her on a bike ride in Italy. Did you ever hear this story? She uh, uh, we're biking out to Castel Gandolfo from Rome, and um, this she was following me and. We weren't going that fast. We were just kind of going around a turn, but it was one of these kind of roundabouts. An Italian came in, and uh, she ran into the car. And uh, but it was cla- so they pull over, and she's fine. The bike's fine. Everything's fine. It was very kind of small. Um, but you know, instead of yelling at her for running into the car, which is what would happen maybe here, certainly in Germany or somewhere like that, they get out of the car, and everybody's you know you know yelling and gesticulating and they start bringing out water and food and i by the time i get around other italian drivers are yelling at me like hey turn around i get over there and they're feeding her like um you know capicola or whatever they're pulling out of the car it's like they're giving her prosciutto and she's just like i don't need any prosciutto (laughs) and she can't talk to them but it was just like such a classic scene and they just were like okay everything's fine but just had to you know immediately I thought the Italians were going to go over and like start, you know, gesticulating over the bike. Like, yeah. oh my gosh, the I bike. Can't I know, I know. So, so yeah. So, uh, I think that's it. Yeah, I think I think we're bantered out. That's ten minutes, Burrow. Let's do it. So you uh, you're not keeping track. Sure, I am. Mike, Father Mike figured out how to keep timer on that thing oh, instead really? of the 60,000 60, clicks. You are at. Seven. Nine minutes and 55, 56 seconds. It's time to move and to the topic. And we go to the topic now. Now, 10 minutes. Boom. I wish we had like some, some like uh, chime music or whatever. Yep. Well, it's good. There are anti-banters, and uh, you know they, they can go to the 10 minute. That's the usual kind of transition, unless we're really kind of ADD. Um, you know? Well, so. it's me and Father Mike. We, we, like, we like to ease into topics. We, we, we should warn people. In the near future, there will be a pure banter episode. I have, I have. We have yet of that. to do that. Yep. We got to be in the right mood, though. You know. Some yeah, days it's that just, might be. Yeah, that might be a that be a nice villa one. Yeah, that might be good. So, anyways, I've kind of ventured into this topic a little bit with uh, Herr Doctor Goebel here, but uh, this is uh, this one's going to go. This one's going to soar a little bit. Up, we're going to go up into the theological stratosphere. Up and away in my beautiful. My beautiful balloon. <laughs> so hopefully it's not uh, uh, too lofty, and hopefully it's kind of interesting, and hopefully by the end we will have something practical and concrete to say, uh, but we're going to kind of shoot off on this. So I read a wonderful book. Uh, I've read several parts of it uh, over the last two years. I teach it in my fundamental theology course, and then I just had the opportunity at the Schloss, sitting in the back room with the fire going uh, as it was snowing on Tuesday to read the rest of the book. And it's by uh, Robert Sokolowski, who's a philosopher at Catholic University of America. And uh, it's called The Eucharistic Presence, A Study in the Theology of Disclosure. Wonderful book. Really, uh, really compelling, really interesting. Um, the book is about the Eucharist, um, but there's two chapters in it that are about what he calls the theology of disclosure. 
Is he a philosopher or a theologian? Philosopher, but he does mm-hmm. he does theology as well. He's kind of a full. He kind of understands them as you can distinguish them, but they also he's interested in how they kind of play together. And we'll talk about this in a second here. Uh, so the way I would introduce this topic of disclosure, which is kind of again abstract, and it took a little while to get head around it, but I've been teaching it the last few weeks. I paired this book with uh, a couple other people that. Um, that some of you might read and understand. Walker Percy, Luigi Giussani, and John Henry Newman. Newman's Grammar of Ascent, Walker Percy's uh, semiotics study, especially, um, what is the uh, book, what's it called? Um, Lost in the Cosmos? No, uh, the other one, Island. The one where the guy's lost in the island, he just totally spaced it. It doesn't matter. So anyways... That's um, embarrassing. You know it. <laughs> You're totally just hanging, leave me out to dry. Um, thanks a lot. Nick Blaha is like shaking his head right now. Um, so these guys are all interested in the question of how do things manifest themselves? Like how do they manifest themselves? And in philosophy, there, is a, there was a philosophical movement to deal with modernity uh, called phenomenology. And uh, Sokolowski friends with the rights, by the way. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Okay. So Sokolowski is a phenomenologist. Phenomenology comes from a philosopher named Edmund Husserl. Edmund Husserl had several great um, um, disciples, one of whom was Edith Stein, St. Edith Stein. Yeah. Another was a guy named Mach Scheler, who John Paul II did his doctoral dissertation on Mach Scheler. Okay, so big influence. Why, why phenomenology? Basically, it's they're dealing with uh, the problem of modernity, which is how do you get back, because modernity ends up in idealism, right? So everything's in the mind, but we lose touch with reality. How do we get back to the real things? How do I know that when I touch this uh, microphone stand, that I'm actually touching the microphone stand, or is it just in my mind, right? This is the problem of... So modern philosophy is kind of like the topic, too much topic, and phenomenology brings in a little bit of banter. That's right. It's the banter. Banter would be the subjective experience. Absolutely. Banter is what concretizes and brings you back to life, right? Well, the next mug from the (laughs) Catholic stuff. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of a, a bit of the backdrop is that um, Sokolowski is a phenomenologist and he is saying um, w- phenomenology complements um, the traditional metaphysics. Metaphysics is a study of being. Okay, So we're talking about how do we know things as they are. And what he's saying is that modernity loses touch with that, with things as they are, the, the book that I'm holding, the coffee that I'm drinking. How's that coffee, by the way? Did you enjoy it? Yeah. Very good, huh? Nespresso, it's the best. Um, But it also, we have to kind of have a way of understanding how do we get back in the object, and their point is to say, the way that things disclose themselves or manifest themselves matter. And if you understand that, and you're able to do that, you can enter back into um, getting back in touch with the object itself. And that's the project of phenomenology. It's complementary to uh, what we would call kind of classical metaphysics, especially Thomistic metaphysics, um, but it's a method, okay? So it's not a way of studying being, it's a way of studying how things disclose themselves. All right, so Do that's you have a, a recommendation on if they want to learn more about phenomenology, not just like read Husserl? Anything like- by Sokolowski, I would recommend. He's, I think he's the best American scholar on this topic. He's... Um, He's very accessible. He's a great writer. Obviously, he's taught for decades. You can tell. He's just fantastic to read. So anything by Robert Sokolowski. Um, 
Okay, but that's a bit abstract. So let's just use a concrete example here. And this is what I, I tied this into a homily. I'm not exactly sure how a couple weeks ago. So if you're a good shepherd listening to this, you've already heard this. But let's say it's Christmas morning. My nephews, my three nephews, um, Jackson, Micah, and Caleb, age six, five, and uh, two, run downstairs. And they find under the Christmas tree, all of their Christmas presents are lined up, labeled, not wrapped, and there's just an instruction that says, please assemble and begin playing. They would be like, what? What is this, right? Mm -hmm. What is going on here? They would be really disappointed. Why? Because we wrap presents for a reason, right? We wrap them for a reason. Why do we wrap them? Mystery. Mystery. Because the way that the present discloses itself matters. It's not just about the transaction of the object, or yeah. the, but actually understanding how does that come to be. So it would really be um, unfortunate for a child to grow up in a house where Christmas presents were never wrapped. I would, ag- I would agree, and I, I think that the, the, the present obsession with gift bags are one step closer to just put the trees on, put the, put the pr- like whatever products under the tree and just label who they're for. Right. Gift bags, it's like you barely, you barely have to rip into anything. Tissue paper, there is something when somebody actually wraps it and... You know, there is a, there's another layer of there is and invitation, I've, and I've been convinced of that. I've been I've been slacking on that, and my in my family, I'm notoriously bad at this because I don't like surprises, and so when they when we do the Secret Santa thing, you know, um, the wish list, I send one ISBN number, and they're like, "You are so lame, you're so lame," because there's nothing. And this year, I was like, "I'm gonna throw some different stuff in there, sure. right? Right, I'll throw some other." Options. But I don't you, know what I'm going to get. But did you just do ISBN numbers? Like no. you did four ISBN numbers. You just don't know which one you're going to no, get. No, I didn't. I, I took some risks and threw some different things you out there. You said sweater. I'll take a sweater. No, I uh, threw in there this little backpacking espresso maker. It's about this big. It's like thirty bucks. So, but again, like you, you showed different. You showed products, like specific products. Well, the wish list asks for items. Well, I mean, items can be sweater. Right, uh, hat, gloves. Hey, listen, and man. you're like, I want this sweater. I want this glove. <laughs> that is true. Okay, <laughs> but working German efficiency. It. Working on it. We're German efficiency. Right, I, I like this. On it. So, I'm also of the opinion that I'm not a gift giver by nature. So it's like if if every five years you just hit a homer and you and you just yes, like I remember a number of years ago I was walking through downtown Boulder with my mom and she said, Oh, I just love those cowboy boots. Filed it away. Mm-hmm. Bought her the cowboy boots. Six months later, bam, nailed it. Nailed that it. was worth five years. Five years of that's lame, right. lame gifts that's because true. she got the cowboy boots, right? I think that with most people, you can only expect a good gift every five years. Right. I, okay. Otherwise, it's just sort of like, you know, well, thank you. Exactly. You're grateful, you know, but it's not like the, whoa, oh my gosh, how did you remember this? <laughs> exactly. Some people are like that, though. Some people can do that. So Going back to the Christmas morning. So we're back at Christmas morning. So let's say I come downstairs, and I talk to my nephews, and, and um, I ask them questions. And they're always like, what are you talking about? Like Jackson, for example, was, I was like, isn't it hard sometimes to distinguish needs from wants? Jackson, he's like, Z-O-G-O, you ask weird questions. I was like, I know. Because he kept saying, I need this, I need this. I was like, no, I think you want that. But it's hard, it's mm-hmm. hard to distinguish that, yeah. right? So what if I said to them, uh, boys, uh, here's a wrapped Christmas gift, and I bring it out, and they're like, oh, and they open it up, right? Now, if you are around children on Christmas Day, 
they seem to derive more fun in opening Christmas gifts than they do playing with them. Like this is my this is my experience. Is like there's so much excitement around just opening the gift. And if I was able to have a conversation with them as a, as young phenomenologists, and I would say to them, "What was the event? How was this event of opening a gift? How did it affect you?" Like that's a phenomenological question. Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. I asked my six year old nephew that, I said, "How did this affect you?" And if he said to me, well, let's say I got him a Roma um, soccer jersey, which I got them last year, and he started explaining details on the product, he said, well, this symbol means this, and this is an advertising company from this. He was so focused on the actual thing itself, I said, no, no, that's not the question I asked you. The question is, how did this event, how, how was this an event in your life? How was this meaningful to you? Like, how did this affect you? How did this mm-hmm. change you? And he kept saying, no, no, no. But this is, the, this is why it's this color, and this is not... Lazio is the blue color. This is the red. That's why it's a Roma jersey. I said, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the content or the object of the present. Yes. I'm talking about the way by which this object came into your life. Hmm. That's the difference between a content-based study question and a question of disclosure or manifestation or appearance, right? So the wrapping, under the tree, the gift from from Zio Gio, whatever it might be, all of these things are part of that if you, if you look at it as an experience or as an event versus if you just look at it as an object. But both matter. Both matter. Mm-hmm. It's really important that he can tell me this is why Roma, we root for Roma, not Lazio. This is why. This is the color of the jersey. This is the advertising. And he could dissect the whole thing and kind of break it down for me, right? Um, this is the kind of material that the jersey's made of. These are all mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is important details. And, yes. and, and, and It's not my size. It's not my size. Right. Yeah, yeah like, exactly. These are, these are important things, but the, both of them, both of them uh, encompass the whole of the event. Exactly. So what, what Sokolowski's proposing is that why is it that we do philosophy or theology just as a focus on a study, a scientific exposition of the content hmm. or the object itself? Yeah. We call, this goes back to St. Augustine, I mean, we call theology the science of God, which is true, right? Augustine's the fir- really the first to give us a definition of what theology is in the 12th book of The City of God, where he talks about it as reasoning or discourse about divine things. Okay, So theology existed before Christianity, but it radically changed with the Christian revelation, and it became something distinctive. So his basic premise is to say, we need to, re- we need to bring in a different method that complements the objective content-based study of the faith because of the nature of revelation. Hmm. So when St. Thomas Aquinas starts his Summa, his Summa Theologiae, the first question is, um, is there a sacred doctrine, a sacra doctrina, right? But the doctrine is itself doctrina, teaching. It's a, it's a study of the object. That's why we say theology is a science. It's, it's an objective study. But the problem is, with theology, the object is the subject, <coughs> namely God. Hmm. So you can't just reduce God to an object, though you can and you need to do scientific objective study of God, and that is theology. But, 
basically what happened is after the great scholastics, so Aquinas, Bonaventure, these guys, they, they did this. They held this all together, the fathers as well. But by the late Middle Ages, theology was being reduced more and more to just the pure re- level of objectivity. Because remember, at the time of Aquinas and these guys, they're, they're appropriating Aristotelian science, but this isn't like Francis Bacon, this isn't the Renaissance, this isn't the kind of delineated... Uh, empirical science that we understand the world of mm. quote unquote science to be, and so what happens over the centuries is basically theology starts gets kind of they they play into this kind of rational this kind of rationalism that reduces science reduces the intellect more and more and more, and we play that game and we just kind of truncate theology down to this thing, and then eventually by the end of the modern period it gets basically tossed out so like in the twentieth century um Postmodern time theology is it's just it, it it's a it would be a joke in many many religious studies departments to talk about the science of theology because hmm. you're like it's not a science and it's like it is a science but it's a different kind of science and they would call it what again in a religious if studies department? if it's not a science it's a I don't know a practice an art I don't know but it but we've lost the sense of the scientific significance of uh of theology but part of it is Mm -hmm. if the if jesus christ is the revelation of god like the person of jesus the second person of the trinity in his humanity then yes we can scientifically expound upon the content of his teaching but we can't reduce revelation to a science Mm -hmm. so revelation can be studied scientifically but, sci- but it's not just science. I always tell the guys, I'm like, the catechism didn't just fall from the sky. Right. And God just said, scientifically expound upon this, right? The same with the Bible, right? Or the Summa. Or the Summa, exactly. Or the, the manuals, which would be the kind of 19th, 20th century distillation. Like, I have a manual. It's actually a great resource. I recommend it to people all the time. It's called The Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma. I saw it sitting on your uh, Denny's booth, right? Yep. Great resource. If you have a... Ca- the catechism is also a great resource. But if you're looking for a systematic presentation of every aspect of the Catholic faith. Ludwig Ott, this is the best thing we got. It is, came out in the 40s. It's beautiful. Been recently reprinted by Baronius Press. So that's a great gift if you have some dorky theologian in the family. But it can't just be the manual. Because the way that, we manif- the way that things manifest matters. Mm. All right? And that would be Sokolowski's um, distinction. That's what he's talking about. Any thoughts on that? Making oh, sense? I, I, yeah, it's very helpful. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't really right at this moment. He's got to get a breath. Got to get a breath. Well, yeah, it's, it's a, you don't have to say. I just need a drink of water. I, it's hard. I mean, I I'm waiting to hear you know where we're going. You know, well, here's where we're you, going. You've revved. I mean, you've certainly revved the engine, and and you know, it might even be a two part topic in some sense because I think that what you're what you're pointing towards is important for people to see because our experience of religion, because I actually think that question is important. I wouldn't say that the modern uh, teachers of religion would say that it's a science, and I actually don't think that they would say it's an art. I think that in some ways they would say it's a preference or a culture, like you can't say you can't say that Native American culture is wrong. Um, it, it is it is their experience of of this religious experience. 
Um, but we we're not going to actually talk about it as a as a, an objective reality. So then, in in some sense, like it just becomes uh, I don't know ethnic ethnic food. You know, yeah. like like yeah. yeah. I mean, like J- Jamaican food is different than Mexican food, which is different than German food. But like, there's really no there's really no good food. It's just whatever you eat, right? You know, it's whatever pre- you prefer. Yeah. Exactly. It's just kind of religious preference, basically. And I, 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 I would, I was thinking that it's like, how do we, how do we, how do we make sure that phenomenology, which is rooted in a logos, is different than subjectivism, right. which is just like my experience, right? So I, I don't know. That's what I was pondering. Well, I think yeah, the first point is really significant, which is the the worldview that has kind of taken over part of the postmodern thing that we're living in is this kind of uh, multiculturalism as you're talking about. So it's basically saying Christianity has made this absolute objective claim to yeah. truth and, and, and we no longer believe that. Yes. We situate Christianity as a cultural phenomenon mm-hmm. um, that developed historically over these times. And we set that aside all of these other different kind of religious traditions. Mm-hmm. And everything is equal. Yes. Everything is, it's all paths up the same mountain yep. top. Syncretism. Uh, yeah, exactly. So you end up we with that kind com- of... We can combine all of them and, you know, all of them help in some way or another. Right. And then, so you got that kind of basic multiculturalism, which basically reduces or just disregards any truth claims, really. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you really can't make any truth claims. It's just... You happen to be Italian, I happen to be German, we grew up in a Christian home, that's why we think Christianity is true. It works for us, apparently, but but you can't actually make a claim. And that is always problematic with, with Christianity, because Christ makes such a distinctive, absolute claim yes. to being the God-man, and to being the, the mediator between God. And we don't know God apart from Jesus. Yeah, and, yeah. And, uh, but, and then on top of that, add a layer of Marxism, which then says, oh yeah, but then it's all about this power struggle between everything and this is where you get into this kind of post-colonialism where it's like and we have now unmasked that Christianity has attempted to take over the world uh, through this kind of cultural dominance and cultural colonialism and um, and again is there legitimate critiques yes absolutely right but um, this kind of assessment and this kind of way of locating the religious question is extremely problematic mm-hmm and again, it, it totally undercuts any possibility of doing theology as a science, but also even as just a truth claim, okay? So, where are we going with this? What are we talking about? Well, I'm interested in the question of uh, why does everybody hate von Balthasar? Or why do, why do some people Shocker. hate von Balthasar? Because Sokolowski puts Balthasar as one of the great models of the theology of disclosure. And he says, Balthasar... Danielu, De Lubac, Giassani, Guardini. You just go down the list of these guys. He mentions them? Von, uh, von Hildebrand, he mentions Balthazar. I'm mentioning the rest of them. Right. Um, sure. But they are trying to do, they're trying to approach a different method for doing theology that's not contradictory to the scientific, objective, content-based, but saying you can't reduce revelation to just content. It's also about form. So when I'm talking to my nephew at the Christmas tree, really the question is, uh, don't tell me about the content. That's important. But tell me about the form. How did this manifest? And 
form is a question of aesthetics. It's a question of beauty, right? And so it's a different category. It's a different method. It's a different approach, but it's complementary to a truth-based um, or metaphysical-based approach, right? Which is saying, what is the thing in itself? How can we study the thing in itself? Metaphysics is a science. But then it's, yeah, it's also goodness as well. Right. Why is this good for me? Why is this good? Exactly. But it, it, it kind of shifts the conversation mm. a bit. And so what Sokolowski is basically mm. saying is that you have, you have three options um, because modernity happened. Modernity happened. We're not medieval in our thinking. Um, so it leaves you with three choices. Number one, uh, and this is happening a lot. We're seeing this in um, kind of a cultural reaction, reactionary tendency in the, in the church. Of this, we, I've talked about this before, the radicalizing of the Catholic right, where it's like, we just want to go back to the pre-modern world. So that's option number one, is just to say, let's just pretend like modernity never happened, and uh, let's go back to the, the way that it was in the 13th century. So we are extraordinary form by liturgical style. We are integralist, which means we want a king. Okay, um, Our theology is purely scholastic. We just kind of do everything like we're in the 13th century. And um, that's very tempting. The problem is, is it's, it just doesn't seem to work. Kind of one thing I want to say to a lot of Catholics is I'm like, the way that the sacraments have been treated this year by really hardcore faithful people, I was like, you're almost treating them like a technology. Like it, we have a technological approach to the sacraments. It's like, and and it's like this is this is the, it's like the Wi-Fi. It's like if I don't get the Eucharist, it's like I don't have access. Hmm. And I'm like, that's that's a that's a very postmodern way of thinking. But you don't think that because you're just you just are living in. 13th century world. And so you see, when you have conversations with people about this stuff, they might have it all worked out where it's like, nope, I'm pre-modern in the way that I think about everything. But you're like, eh, I don't know if you are. I think that you're actually a 21st century person who has assimilated a lot of modernity. But that is an option. You can try and say, I'm just going to be pre-modern and I don't have to worry about that. Sokolowski says, number two is you just sell out to modernity. And we tried to do this, right? There was a number of th Catholic thinkers in the 20th century um, who just said, let's just build our structure, our theology, on modern philosophical grounds. Mm -hmm. A great example of this is Karl Rahner right, with his transcendental Thomism. Mm -hmm. We're going to start with Kant, and then we're going to rebuild the whole thing from the ground up. And we, just, we disregard kind of the classical Aristotelian to mystic metaphysics. Right? And that was a, this is also a very common thing. Hugely problematic. I mean, really devastating what it did to the church uh, in the 20th, after the Second Vatican Council. And even in the 19th century, there was, there was Hegel, Kant, these guys were just trying to kind of rebuild this thing on a new structure. So you just, you just kind of appropriate modernity uncritically and try and refashion the faith in a modern way. And we hear people talk about this. We've got to like modernize the church, right? We've got to kind of update everything. And it's like, well, we've got to be careful about that. So Kolowski says, but then there's a third option, which is to say, that modernity did have advancements. Like there was good that happened in the modern world, but we have to be careful about what that is. Mm -hmm. And he says one of the main things that is really good about it was that the question of how things appear is, the, is one of the fundamental questions of modernity, how they manifest, how they disclose. And that's where uh, the questions arose in the modern period, but he really sees... Um, Husserl as the bridge out of that world. And he says it was a method by which he, he was able to kind of 
pull us out of the modern project, but actually appropriate what was good in modernity. And I think that's why John Paul II was drawn to phenomenology, because he didn't see it in contradiction with, with Thomistic metaphysics. He saw it as, this is something that we yes. can actually draw from. We have a deeper sense of the person, mm-hmm. of, the, of subjectivity, of, of how things manifest, hmm. because of our absolute focus on man in the modern period. Which, again, is hugely problematic in, in a lot of ways, but also really good. Like, we have a deeper understanding of personhood, subjectivity, how we subjectively appropriate. And so he points to von Balthasar as an example of somebody who says, we have, like, uh, we, have, we have Thomas, and we have, we have the tradition, but then also, what was the good that we could take from the modern period? And I think that a lot of these 20th century thinkers who are, people are throwing them out and saying, we don't need this. This doesn't, it's just, there's some people who just hate these guys, and then there's many who are just told they don't matter, you know, and talking to students at, like, local uh, places around here, it's like, it's just kind of like, it doesn't really matter. And I'm like, it does matter, because modernity happened, and we have to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And Sokolowski has helped me understand that you can take Balthazar, Giassani, um, Guardini, and these guys, and if you locate them in a kind of theology of disclosure or a theology of form, so to speak, it's a method of doing theology that's really complementary to the question of content, which is the classic kind of scholastic or Thomistic way of doing theology. And they, and they, they work together just like phenomenology worked uh, with metaphysics, with uh, Thomistic metaphysics for John Paul in a full philosophical setting. Again, this is a lot of fancy words thrown out there, so I hope it's making some sense. But basically, go back to the Christmas tree and say, okay, if that's what we want to talk about, how do we, in our catechesis, in our religious education, in our preaching, in the way that as families we teach the faith, mm-hmm. you can't just give them content. Right. They need to know inside and out. Yes. There's a real crisis of content. Like yeah. We've done a really bad job of that in the last 50 years of like the last three generations we just we didn't know. I didn't know anything. My parents didn't know anything, and they said that they said we just did, we didn't feel comfortable teaching you the faith. You got to know the faith. You got to know the catechism. But somehow you got to awaken them the question of why does this matter to you? What what was? How did this manifest itself to you? How did God become an event in your life? Because if that doesn't happen, faith is not going to be. Mm. It's not going to be translated. It's only within it. We have to take seriously the category of experience, yes. the, the the subjective appropriation, without falling into subjectivism, as you said earlier. So, I, I, I think this is just a the the method of theology matters for how we yes. approach everything that we're doing in the church right. as educators. Did I tell you about uh, trying to teach uh, Trinity um, and the Incarnation to my RCIA class? Um, I. Uh, I never, I never taught at any level uh, of seminary. Like I had never. The only, the only time I would say that I was in a teaching role was when I went to the prison, hmm. um, and that was really more preaching uh, than it was than it was actual teaching. And um, I'm a, I'm a strong believer that uh, every seminarian should be required to either serve in totus tuus, where they, where they actually are required to to have some skills around teaching, to have some assignment um, at a Catholic school where they are regularly teaching a course to students, preparing lesson plans, um, or uh, doing religious ed 
where like on you know a Sunday because I never had that. So I go in there, I go in there, and um, you know I'm teaching with this guy Travis Todd, who's a great Focus missionary. Um, he's got some fancy title that he works at Focus, um, and um, you know he's a good educator. Um, and I'm like, all right, I got to do my own. So then I just I assemble all of my you know books. You saw Ludwig Ott, John Harden's Catholic Catechism, um, Theology for Beginners by Peter Kreeft, I think, or yeah, somebody. Um, and then the catechism. So I get all of my, I get all of my objects, all of the gifts that I want to give them. And then I just start throwing them at them, Mm -hmm. you know, like just Mm -hmm. fire hose. And, uh, I had distilled everything down to like bullet points, which is, you know, important because it's just bullets. And, uh, I could look in their eyes and just be like, they are not, they are not receiving this like in a way that I, I want them to. And it was a total fail. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason why was because I only had about 30 to 45 minutes. I'd already prepared this lecture however many you know months previously. Um, so I was recycling old notes and I just reviewed it for 30 to 45 minutes and then I gave the course. Horrible. Then the next time I said, I said I'm going to cancel my, my afternoon appointments uh, or just make sure that I have the space for it. And I'm just going to go into the into the back room, and I'm just going to say, these people are walking in to a class knowing very little about God and whatever. So I have to start from that experience of, like, do you know who God is? Like, you've heard people talk about God or whatever. Um, and then I, from there, it's like I started crafting the the lesson based on, I have to start with the premise of, do you even believe in a God? Like, can there be a God? Like, could there be many gods? Why is it that there has to be one God? Like, is it okay that there's one God? And what is, if, if I was going to imagine a God, what would I want that person to, to have? You know, like, you know, omnipotence, you know, power, whatever. Um, and then what is, the, what is the revelation of Christ that there is a God and now that that God that that we acknowledge, he now is like saying there is a father, you mm-hmm. know, like that there's a communion of persons. And I, and I just kind of walked him through like, do you see why this is kind of seismic in terms of uh, the, the change that has happened? Because just getting people to, to believe that there's one God is a pretty big like titanic effort. Because it's much easier just to believe that there's there's all sorts of gods. There's a god of thunder, god of war, god of fertility, right. whatever. And then it, to just say there's one god, it's like okay, like I can get to that point. Did it? We're 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 in this. I don't want to move anymore. This is my reality. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus Christ comes in, who you know, like we know very little about. You know, just with the manifestation of the angels. You know that you know. Today is born a savior, et cetera. And then all of a sudden it's like, he's talking about the father. And it's like, so you're, wait, are you God? Or is this one at God? And how can you be God when you're, when you're human? And the whole experience of their, their, recept, their receptivity to the course changed hmm. because they were seeing it from, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't have access to the same uh, content that you have, you have to just inductively 
like lead me into this mystery and allow me to grapple with it. And I actually think that's a much better way to teach theology than let's just give you all the bullets. Right. And I used to love apologetics because apologetics is like, give me all the bullets right. so that whenever anybody comes, I can just be like... Exactly. And then, but but talking at the coffee shop or talking at the bar or talking to RCIA students has to also complement, be complemented with, do you realize why this is difficult? Do you realize why this is like strange and why this claim is very different than, than other people's claims? And I, I would love to see a theology that was uh, disclosure instead of, I, I don't know, like manuals like i mean i love manuals because i love i love the bones i love like knowing this is what we have to make sure that we have in the midst of all of it but it, it also has to I'm, I'm for lack of a better word it has to be sexy yeah it has to be appealing right it has to have intrigue like not like you know you're just i don't know i, I that's that's not the word beautiful carrie carrie floyd uh who's a pedagogy kind of research researcher and instructor at DU she really challenged me in my courses you know I went for a beer with her last week and she said the temptation for you as a teacher is to and this is just as a preacher this is as a parent this is everything Mm -hmm. we just it's like we're pouring content into an empty vessel and so they go to class and then we just blast them you know we just pour 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 and then they start overflowing and they're like oh you know and she's like you have to really see it as like education is a it's it's a co-creation. There's a, there's a mutual discovery that's happening, and I think if we reflect back on our best professors, they were able to transmit a ton of content. Yes, but in a way with a form that it involved us, and they were actually interested in us and how it involved us in the struggle as well. In the struggle as well, and that I think that's what your example really shows well with the the course. It's like it's not that you. You might have actually even had to go slower with the content, but you you ha- you won them over. And uh, today, the first reading uh, for Feast of Saint Andrew was is that great line from Romans: "Faith comes from what is heard, and what is heard is the word of God." So, when we talk about faith arising from hearing, we have to acknowledge that it involves the subject, and we have to be attentive to that. in And our theological method, or our teaching method, has to involve the what is heard and how is it heard and how are you able to hear that? What are you hearing? You know, and, and uh, so I just think there's a massive opportunity here in mm-hmm. a postmodern world to say, wow. we, take the, we take everything we've received from the, the brilliant um, scientific um, exposition that's happened for centuries, primarily from scholastic thought, um, but then also Let's let's bring another method to bear that we that arose in modernity that's been critically assessed and, and given to us, and we have some giants at our hands. Um, Ratzinger also is a great example of this. All right, I'll close with one last thought here. Um, both Walker Percy and Sokolowski draw attention to the example of Helen Keller. Hmm. Um, so, as we know, Helen Keller uh, grew up deaf, blind, and apparently unable to speak. And at the age of seven, she had not, not yet uttered a word. So think about that as a parent. Like for seven years, your child has never said a word, Mm -hmm. right? She was unable to comprehend that words were related to things or that words even existed. And then it's that famous story, right, where, um, what's her name? Anne Anne Sullivan puts her hand under the water 
and signs water. And then Helen Keller has that moment where she connects water with the cool stream and realizes for the first time that things have names. Mm -hmm. And the point Sokolowski's making is that what the transformation that happened in her life in that moment, she didn't learn about a new thing. She learned about a new dimension. There was a disclosure of a dimension, not just a manifestation of a new thing. Right. She already felt water. Yeah, exactly. And so if you think in terms of that in light of the faith, the experience of faith, and somehow this miraculously happened to us. I still am like, how did this happen to two, the two of us, random dudes, really not looking for it for much of our life? But faith is not about learning new things. It's about a new dimension. Yes. When you step into the life of faith, it's literally like Helen Keller's experience of stepping into a world where things have names. And the, the life of grace kind of mysteriously discloses this new way of thinking. And so we can talk and talk and talk all day long about things and things and things, but it's literally like Helen Keller, they can't, they can't put it together until there's that connection that says, oh, faith actually discloses not just more content, more information. We can add God, information about God to information about rocks from geology, you know, or whatever it might be. Um, it's not just this kind of stacked up blocks of different empirical sciences, but it's actually a completely different dimension. It's a way, it's a totally different way of thinking. Um, and, uh, I love that. And I, I want to awaken that in people. Mm. And I think that's, that's our project. And, um, so we've got some great guys who are doing it, but Sokolowski's gift to me and hopefully to you is that he locates, he shows us a way that the 20th century guys who are quote unquote controversial are actually very complimentary and that the methods of theology uh, can be different. It doesn't just have to be one uh, content-based method and approach. What does Giorgio say in, um, in Daft Punk where he's like, nobody told me what to do. Once you free your mind from the from forms of harmony and yeah, you can do anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's I mean, there it was a new appropriation, right? I think that I think that's a a gift. It's a gift from God because faith isn't just our diligent pursuing pursuing of I've got to study this more, right? But it's a disclosure. The, the gift of faith, like uh, in, the, in the Lenten prefaces uh, for uh, the Samaritan woman, whatever week that is, third or fourth week of Lent, it says, like, you had already, she, she was, you were thirsting, but you were already thirsting for her faith, and you created in her this wellspring that uh, she was able to draw from. Like, God, when he, when he bestows this gift of faith... It's this actualization of the potential that we know that we want and desire, but it's the encounter with uh, the divine from the other side. And that's where it's hard because like, there is a content of faith. There is, a, there is data. Mm -hmm. There is uh, objective truth. But the subjective uh, reception, participation in that, like, that is where the... the the, the two worlds kind of cross over. And I don't know if we, I don't know if we just want to, I think what we're pointing towards is that we want the, we want that encounter to happen. Right. Exactly. Topic and banter. 
Topic and banter. Top, topic und banter. Topic und banter. Jawohl. And we need to look. We need to find out what that is in German. That is. That's it. So that's. Um, that was a good topic. Thank you. Thanks. That for was much. Along. That was much easier to to digest than, like I, I I think I got it in like the five minute you know at dinner. Yeah. Yeah, that was a bit condensed. Yeah, it was pretty. You know, it's nice. It's you know leisurely. Yes. So. Yes. Nice leisurely Monday morning. So. Anyways, thanks for listening. I think as you pray for faith, for your children, and for your friends, and for ourselves, remember, faith is a gift. We ask for it. Um, But it's not just more data about God. It actually changes the entire way that our minds uh, appropriate. And and we'll pray for that as we approach Christmas, for uh, the transformation of our minds, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12. Okay, you got a letter to read. He's hustling because he knows he went over. I'm hitting close to the hour mark. Hitting so, close to the hour. He's dragging because he knows we're hitting close to the hour Punk. What is Go. I'm, I know. I'm thinking. Uh, dear Father John, Father Mike, uh, greetings from Bama Catholic. Bama. Erica is a recent alum from the University of Alabama, and the rest of us are current students. Five of us are involved in camp, campus ministry. Love hanging out at the Sabin Catholic Student Center. We need Father Nathan. We heard Father Nathan needed some stickers, so we wanted to send you some stuff. Stickers and shirt are for Father Nathan. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Fresh off of the Iron Bowl victory. Uh, the brew, the beer is brewed here in Tuscaloosa is for all uh, for you to enjoy. Love the work you guys do on the podcast. Great to hear your daily lives as parish priests and your conversations about the faith. We miss Father Michael O'Loughlin. We'd love to hear him come back sometime. Um, shout out to the Jaeger family, including Matt, Fran, Alex, Evan, and Sam. Um, and so, God bless Ward Yeager, Jesse Gentrup, Steve Landers, Max West, John, and Erica Turflinga. So uh, they sent us a little little care package. Very, very much appreciated. I uh, accidentally sent a thank you card to a different Bama fan who I think originally sent me the uh, the, the one of the T-shirts for for Bama Catholic. Um, and I said, thank you for the beer. And she didn't send beer. Uh, I can't remember who it was. Um, anyways, but um, thanks for listening, guys. Congrats on the Iron Bowl victory. On we go. Two shout-outs. Uh, we got a great crew of maintenance guys who work here at the Archdiocese, and they cover our grounds at the seminary. Yes. And I think Matt is the one who listens. One of the guys came up to me recently really? and said, uh, hey, thanks for the podcast. And I think it was him. So hopefully it's him. If not, uh, we'll get it right next time. And then lastly, a shout-out, Laura and Dan Kapuska up in Breck uh, came down to Good Shepherd, and they brought some very nice whiskey glasses. Lovely. Which I have yet to disclose of. The theology of disclosure That's is not right. yet. Yeah. They usually get dumped at my house, and then I have to find a spot for them. Well, so. actually, I really like these. He so. likes them, yes. so he'll keep them. So thanks for listening. You guys Shocker. are great. Really enjoyed meeting you. Um, yeah, okay, that's it. We're right under the hour. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and uh, blessed to have been to you. Cheers.